Well, as you can see there, that, those three words right there, everybody say that with me. You know, from the time, yeah, somebody, I heard that. From the time I was in middle school, I think, is when I started hearing this in church all the time. The speaker would get up, the pastor, and they would say, God is good. And then the congregation would respond all the time as if they were finishing his sentence. And then he'd flip it. And he would say, and all the time, and the people would say, God is good. So, let's try it this morning. Some of you are already in mode. You're already in gear. God is good. And all the time. Man, you guys are pros. I was, I was prepared in my heart to have to do it again because it wasn't going to be good, but you, you exceeded my expectations. Good job. <clears throat> Growing up, I always thought it was a fun thing that we did. I never really got tired of it. I thought it was fun. And I think declaring the goodness of God should be a fun thing to do. But I don't think I ever really processed why we did it so much all the time. And when I say so much all the time, I mean, Brother Sam... You and I, we grew up together at church, and it was like every week, was it not? Every week, we would hear, God is good. We would all respond all the time, and all the time, God is good. And I never thought, I just thought it was great, but I never really thought, why? But as I look back on that now, and I have been able to think about it and process it, I know that our leaders were trying to, through repetition, through repetition, they were trying to get that truth ingrained to us, ingrained into our DNA that God is good all the time. That's why when we sang just this chorus a few minutes ago, your love is strong, and that's the entire chorus. Your love is strong, your love is strong, your love is strong. Your love is strong. Right. You're like, well, that's just not very wordy. (laughs) There's a lot of truth there that needs to sink in, and it's the same for this. And so our leaders knew that there was going to come a day where the rains were going to pour like we've been talking about. There was going to come a day where the rivers were going to rise. There was going to come a day where the winds were going to blow and beat against the house. And we needed to know that no matter what the weather was, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what the crisis is, it didn't change the character and the nature of our God. He is good. Amen? Amen. God is good. And all the time. You've heard me say this quote. Before And you're going to hear me say, if you stay in this church, you're going to hear me say it over and over and over again. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's from A.W. Tozer. And he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why is that? Because the way that we view God shapes our entire life. It shapes the way that we interact with him. It shapes the way that we view ourselves. It shapes the way that we view his plan for our life. It shapes the way that we interact with our neighbor, with our family members, with our coworkers, with the world around us. What comes into our mind is the most when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if we connect this truth that, that Tozer gives us, this concept, with the truth that God is good all the time. If we connect those things together, you know, we realize that it's not just a nice thing that we say. It's not just a fun thing that we learned when we were growing up at church. But these three words have the power to shape your life. They have the power to shape your destiny. What you believe about God determines everything. It can either fuel your prayers with faith and expectation or... It can quench you 
and leave you with uncertainty and doubt. You either see a faithful father who never changes, or you see this detached deity out there in the cosmos somewhere whose character is unpredictable. Your understanding of God's goodness affects your everyday life. Does heaven desire to just remain at a distance? Or is it like Jesus said when he taught us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven, that's the way that we pray so that we can endure through difficult circumstances and continue to believe for miracles because we believe that God is good, truly. That statement is more than just a catchy you know, a clever, catchy Christian slogan. It's more than a, even just this, well, it's our statement, it's a doctrinal statement. No, God's character and nature, truly, absolutely, 100% is good. And I think some of us doubt that sometimes because of the circumstances of life. You may not say that, but in the back of your mind, you have doubts about it. Listen, what you believe about God's goodness impacts, again, every area of your life, even the way that you pray. How you pray is determined on who you think God is. Does God still heal today? Does God still, you know, give us freedom over sin? Does God still move mountains in reverse impossible situations? So what you believe determines how you pray, and how you pray determines your willingness to be open to the Holy Spirit to change and transform you and use you to change the world around you. Thankfully, thank God, this truth was ingrained into me at an early age. And I know, listen, I could tell you story after story after story but that because I've had this truth ingrained into me, because I've had this truth as a foundation in my life, I could tell you story after story after story of how that blessed me, how that saved me, how that benefited me. But I can also tell you this. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that because I had that truth that God is good, It's part of my foundation. There are things that I have been saved from that I wasn't even aware of. There were things that may have come and passed. Or there are ways that I may have benefited that I didn't even know about. I was not even aware of it. But I know it's because that foundation is rooted in my life. God is good we can better understand and experience who God is, our lives have no choice but to intersect with our God-ordained destinies. One of the things that we know about God is that he is a good father. Now, if Chris Tomlin were here, he would say that he's a good, good father. (laughs) I know some of y'all were probably expecting us to sing that last week on Father's Day. We, We kept you on your toes. We didn't sing it, but... Uh, I think it was, it was either one of the Wesley brothers, it was either John or Charles that said this, uh, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. And here's what that means. We, see th- we sing things that we don't really truly believe. And we can sing good, good father, and that he's perfect in all of his ways. 
But you need to confront your, your spirit. You need to confront your mind and say, do I really believe that? Because if I do, then I would sing this with some conviction. I w- it, would, it would change the way that I live my life. It would change my thinking. It would change the way that uh, you know, I, I view God's plan for my life. He is a good father. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God is our father. And, and if that's the case, if he's the father, that means that, this is like mind-blowing revelation, we are his children. The scripture references God as our father uh, 265 times. Paul tells us in Romans 8.15 that we now have this new identity because we've been adopted and now we are children of God. Now I know when we say the word father and we think of the word as God as our father, that in a, in a room this size with as many people that we have here... Um, A lot of us have a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different emotions when it comes to our fathers. Some of you that I I know your stories, some of you have great fathers. Russell, you had a great dad. I have a great dad. A lot of us have great dads that we, when we think of, we have fond memories, there's warmth, there's laughter. But then for some of us, when we think of our earthly fathers, there's absence, there's rejection. There's a lot of hang-ups there. There's abuse. And so when we say this, God is our father. He's a good father. What we have to do is not look at God as our father through the lens of our earthly fathers. Although our earthly fathers should be good, also, they should be setting up us for success to have a wonderful relationship with our heavenly father. But oftentimes, that's not the case. And I just want to say, if, if you're here today, and your dad was crummy, or he is crummy still, then ask the Holy Spirit to give you a revelation of our good Heavenly Father. Don't, 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 don't let this be a hang-up for you, maybe that you had a not-so-good earthly dad, or a horrible earthly dad. Get a revelation. Ask Holy Spirit, give me a revelation of the goodness of God as my father. And what does that mean for me as one of his children? Now, if you're here and you had a wonderful daddy, that's great. But I want to encourage you to not let even your your earthly father's goodness be a limit to the way that you see God's goodness. Because no matter how great your daddy is, God's even better. Say this with me. Say, God is good. He's even better than I think. He's even better than I think. Yeah, he is. But J.D., doesn't God sometimes, like, cause bad things to happen so that he can demonstrate his power, so he can demonstrate his glory, so he can demonstrate his awesomeness and his love? That's the thing that's a great question. I think sometimes, oftentimes, God gets a bad rap even under the guise of being a good father. People say, well, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And then the next, out of the next breath, they're like, God gave me cancer. That doesn't sound very good. Or um, even in the insurance industry, what do they call natural disasters? 
acts of God. I remember being in college and had a very close friend who died in a horrible, awful car accident on I-40. And I remember people saying, good, God-loving, God-fearing, church-going people that have been in church for years and years, I heard these people say, well, we don't know why God took Jason at such an early age. But it's not our place, you know, to ask questions. What? What? If, if God was the one that took Jason, then I do have questions. But I don't believe for one second that it was God that took my friend's Jason's life early. You know why? Because that goes against the character and nature that I see in the person of Jesus Christ. John 14, 9, Jesus said this. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. People will say that God is good, but then they pin all sorts of bad stuff on him. Some of us, we don't like the vocabulary like God caused that to happen. He made this happen. He did that. It doesn't jive with our theology. So instead of saying that God did it, we say that God allowed it. Now, to me, that's just semantics. Sometimes we say, well, God works in mysterious ways. Let me just say this. If I abuse my child, or if I allow someone else to abuse my own child, then I have a major malfunction. There's something not right with me. I have a big problem. If I did that, no one in this room would say, you're a good father. The idea that God causes or allows evil so that he can display his love and his mercy, that's just sadistic. That would be like me going over and finding my son and breaking his arm just so that I can prove to him that I have the capacity to comfort him in pain. And then I can show him you know, the skill that I have and my ability to reset and cast his broken arm and bring healing to it. That isn't... If I did to my kids what a lot of people claim God does to his kids, I would get arrested. When, when some people ask, they, they say this then, well, what about Job? I think the better question is, what about Jesus? Listen, Job provides a question, but Jesus provides an answer. The story of Job is about holding on to faith in the midst of great trials and then seeing God restore everything brilliantly. Praise God for that. But the story of Jesus is the one where I'm going to get my view of God from. The story of Jesus is where I'm going to pattern my life after. The story of Jesus is where I'm going to put my hope and my trust and my faith in. Can God turn any situation around for his glory and for our benefit? Absolutely he can. We know that in Romans 8, 28, it says, All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But let me tell you, that is God's plan of redemption, not his plan of design. God didn't 
God didn't from the foundations of the earth form you in your mother's womb like Jeremiah tells us and then plan all this pain for you to happen. That's not his plan. It's for you to go through some of this horrible, tragic stuff. John 10, Jesus told us, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That sounds to me like Jesus is trying to take pain from us. He's trying to keep us from a lot of hurt. It's not complicated. You've got loss and death and destruction. And these are all the things that Satan leaves in his wake. And then over here, you have abundant life that comes from Jesus. So you have these these two things. Loss, death, and destruction. One's bad. Abundant life. That's good. It's not hard to differentiate between the two. The Apostle John tells us the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. In all three synoptic gospels, we find this story of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders and teachers and rulers of that day. They were, to, they were there to make sure that everyone kept the rules, that everyone kept the, the laws of, of Judaism and, you know, if they, they felt like there was an issue, they would just make up another rule, and then now everyone else has to jump through another hoop. And they accused Jesus of something very similar. And, uh, and, and so here's what's going on. Jesus had just healed this demon-possessed man. He was blind, and he was deaf. And so Jesus cast the demon out of him, and now all of a sudden, now he can see, now he can hear. And they... The Pharisees step in and they start spreading rumors that Jesus is using black magic. That he's using like devil tricks to do this. He's using some dark power to cast out demons. Now you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, hang on a second, J.D., hang on. Yeah, I I might have said, I might have thought that, that God gave cancer to my daddy, that God gave cancer to my grandma, but never in a million years would I lump God into the same boat with Satan. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's not where you're coming from. I'm glad that's not your heart. I'm glad that's not your intention. But Jesus does this. He gives an illustration to the Pharisees that I believe also answers the question for us, does God do bad things or cause bad things or allow bad things to happen so that he can reveal his power, his love, or his comfort, or his glory? This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3. You can find this also in Matthew 12 and I think also in Luke 11. And Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. I hear some of you chuckling. It's because it doesn't make sense. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. In other words, why does it make any sense for God to do even bad stuff to us so that he can show us that's a, that's a kingdom divided against itself. And Jesus says this. Let me illustrate this further. 
Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. And here he is revealing to us what he does to the works of the enemy. I can tie him up and I can plunder his house. Listen, God causing or allowing bad things to happen so he can demonstrate his awesomeness, that is a kingdom divided against itself and it will not stand. It will crumble. It will fall. And that is not the kingdom of heaven. Our poor theology has taught us that everything that happens is the will of God. That's why when we have, like my friend Jason, who died in that car accident, we had people going, well, I just don't know why the Lord took him at such a young age. But now he's got his angel's wings, and now we we just don't know why. That's poor theology that, that says that everything that happens is God's will. It's part of God's plan. It doesn't compute. That, that's why we, we have these cop-out statements in these hard moments, and we say, well, it's just not for us to ask why. We just need to accept that this is God's plan. Yes, God has a plan, but not everything that happens is part of his plan. Bad things happen, number one, because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he hates God, and he hates us because God loves us, and we're created in his image and likeness. Number two... Uh, the reason why bad things happen is because we have free will. And sometimes we give in to temptation. Or sometimes it's not even like some sinful thing. Sometimes we just make a mistake. And that's sometimes bad things are going to happen from time to time. And it's, man, we're all, all the time really, you know, some of us are really quick to give Satan all the glory and honor. You know, the devil made me do it. He may have tempted you to do it, but there's this thing called free will. Or, you know, the devil did this, or the devil did that. You know what? The devil is, you know, uh, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5. That's true. But there's this also thing that we have in play called free will, where we give in to temptation, and we make mistakes. And we know, for every action... There's an opposite and equal reaction. Now, thank you, Jesus, that he comes in and he changes that spiritual, that spiritual law for us. And that if, if, we, if we're surrendered to him and his blood has covered us, if you're here for the first time and that sentence sounded really weird to you, I'm sorry. I don't mean like literal blood. is on. That's not, that's not a horror movie. But I'll explain the gospel to you later. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Thank Jesus that he has come and he has changed our spiritual destination and that we don't get what we deserve all the time. And the third reason that bad things happen is because when sin did enter the world, imperfection entered the world, and now the world is just in a state of decay. It just is that way. It's not because God's schizophrenic. It's not because God is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm good. Now I'm bad. But now I'm good. No. God is good. Period. How do I know that? Because we've been given a clear revelation of the nature and the character of of God in the person of Jesus. If I were the world's greatest 
um, our expert, and I was the foremost expert, especially on the works of Vincent Van Gogh. And let's just say Aaron inherited uh, um, a large estate, and in that estate, there was a painting that he had found that was signed Van Gogh. Pretty sweet. Yes. He's like, thank you for making me the object of this illustration. But we, we look at this painting, and this is an unknown work. This is not like one of Van Gogh's known works. And so what Aaron would do is he would hire me as the foremost expert on Van Gogh in the world so that I could examine the painting to make sure that, is it legitimate? Is this an actual work of Van Gogh, or is this a forgery? Is this a fake? And so here's the deal, because if it was real, it'd be worth $100 million. But if it was fake, it'd be worth $10. So I'll obviously, it needs to be labeled as such, whatever it is, it needs to be labeled as that, so that no one gets duped into paying more for something that's not really worth that. So what I would do is I would examine the painting, and I would examine every single brush stroke. Is this like the other known works that we have from Van Gogh. We'd also do tests on the paint itself and on the canvas. Is this paint, is this canvas, is it similar? Is it like the other known works of Van Gogh? And so after weeks of examination, I've now determined, yes, in fact, this is a legitimate Van Gogh. And now Aaron is up dancing around, you know, singing, singing hallelujah. He's excited. Now he's got a choice to make. What is he going to do? Is he going to hang on to the painting? Is he going to display it in his house? Is he going to give it on loan to a museum? Is he going to auction it off to the highest bidder? What are you going to do? So he's going to keep it. That's what he's going to do. Listen, discovering what God is like can be very similar to this. For example, if a friend calls me up and says to me, hey, the reason why you're dealing with this sickness in your body is because I believe that God is trying to teach you something. Well, hmm, I need to examine what my friend says and to see if it lines up with God's word. Do the brush strokes match? Do the paint and the canvas match? And so on and so forth. God, the chief of all artists, has left us many masterpieces in the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, all four of these Gospels, the stories of Jesus healing and delivering person after person, they're repeated. And as I study the Gospels, I can't find any painting like the one that my friend is trying to tell me that I have. I, I examine the brush strokes. I examine the paint. I examine the canvas. And I'm sorry, in the Gospels, I can't find anything like that in the person of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I see the exact opposite. So what my friend has told me about my sickness being from God actually contradicts the known works of God. The painting that was given to me with God's signature on it was actually a forgery. It's a misrepresentation of the character and the nature of God because when I look at the life of Jesus, all I see is that God is good. I read this story once of a pastor who was really excited about the building project that his church was in. 
And I don't know if this is a true story or not. It could be. Um, so he went to the contractor, and he's like, is there anything I can do? Now, the pastor had no, like, construction skill whatsoever. So he's just looking for some of the most base thing that he can do to just help and just get some skin in the game and feel like he did something as part of the building project. And the contractor said, yeah, tomorrow morning, actually, we're going to do some framing. I need all of these two-by-fours over here. There's a 100 of them. I need them all cut to eight feet at length. So pastor showed up that night. He's there at the work site by himself. He's got his you know, leather tool belt that he just bought from Lowe's, brand new, still has a tag on it. And he gets out his tape measure. He pulls out eight feet. He marks it, makes the cut. Well, he gets this, this clever idea. Instead of using the tape measure again, he's just going to take that board that he cut and lay it on top of the next board and, make the, and then make the mark and then make the next cut. And then he does that again. He takes the last board that he cut and he puts it on the next board and then makes that cut. And he repeats this process over and over and over again for all 100 boards. But here's the thing when you do it that way. You actually are cutting the board about an eighth of an inch too long, right? And so if you were cutting two or three boards, no big deal. But cutting 100 boards, what you end up with at the beginning of the pile, you've got ones that are about eight feet or just a little bit longer. But at the end of the pile, you've got boards that are over nine feet long. Doesn't sounded like a great plan. 2,000 years, you guys. For 2,000 years, we've been making the same mistake. We've been comparing ourselves to ourselves. We've been comparing ourselves to the previous generation. We've been, caring, been comparing what we know about God to secondhand information. We've been comparing what we know about God to, to the previous generation instead of going back to the very beginning to look at who Jesus really is. God is bringing us back to the original measurement so that he might be revealed more accurately as the good father who loves so well. What you believe about God determines everything. Your understanding of his goodness, it paints the way that you interact with everyday life. And to simply say that God is good is one thing. But when you start living your life according to this foundational truth, this cornerstone truth, everything changes. You're going to have a thousand questions about God over your lifetime. And that's okay. That God's not scared by your questions. But there's going to be one answer that you can come back to that's going to help you hold on no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the storm is, no matter what the crisis is. It's going to keep you praying. It's going to keep you believing. It's going to keep you trusting. It's going to keep you hoping. And that truth is that God is good. In Luke 15, we see a father who runs out to meet his son who ran away with his inheritance. And he had gone out and he had squandered his entire inheritance. And he thought he had ruined his life. And he thought, well, I'm just going to go back to my dad's house and at least I can be a servant. And his dad runs to him and he embraces him. And he puts a robe, the, the family robe and the family ring on him. And not only did he embrace that son, but the other son who stayed home and who was faithful, but then started getting a little self-righteous, he embraced him too. In the book of Matthew, 
chapter 10, Jesus paints this picture of a father who loves us, who cares for us, who provides for us, who knows you so well that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of you are like, I know that's not very many, but (laughs) he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you and he provides for you. And then even back in Luke 15 again, Jesus paints this picture of God who is going to pursue you in relationship. He's going after you like a shepherd looking for the lost sheep. The one who leaves the 99 goes after the one. These two truths, God is good. He's a good father. And we are his children. They have the power to transform your life. So let's believe it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to give us a download. Give us a revelation of the goodness of God. Give us a revelation of of God being a good father. God, I just pray right now where there are um, mindsets, where there are paradigms because of previous, previous experiences, because of things that people said over us or they said about you, God, because of our own earthly fathers. God, we've got these mindsets and these paradigms that that are keeping us. They're like a lid. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in and demolish those right now in the name of Jesus. Come and shine the light of your truth into our hearts. Awaken us to your goodness. Awaken us to that you're a good father and we are your children. And, And so look at all the benefits that I have of being a child of God, the child of the good father. Let's just make this confession this morning. This is from Psalms chapter 34. Why don't you just repeat after me? Say, Heavenly Father, help me taste and see that you are good. I want to know the good feeling of knowing you. Help me trust you. And then I will know the good things you have planned for me. Jesus, thank you. For representing the goodness of God. I put my hope and trust in you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. To show your goodness to everyone. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me. I'm telling you, some of you, I know some of, some of us, maybe not those of us here in this room, but maybe people that we know, certainly people that we know, because of things people have said to them, because people, what people have done to them, because of what Christians have demonstrated to them, they don't believe God is good. And so when they hear this, when they hear people say God is good, there's a roadblock for them. But I believe the Holy Spirit can use people like you and me to interact with these people and to share the love of God and to show them that He is good. And if you are here today, and if you've had that roadblock, but you feel now something tugging on you, to say, you know what, I I think I I need to make a change. I think I need to make a decision. I think I want to... Surrender my life to Jesus.
think I want to surrender my life to God. I think I want to take that step and trust God that he is good. I want to tell you, today can be the best day of your life. It can be the first day of all the best days of your life. And that doesn't mean that you're never going to have any problems ever again. It means that, you know, know, there's never going to be a hard situation that you'll have to face. But what it does mean is that you can have your faith and hope and trust in a God who is good no matter what the situation is. You can know that, hey, there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy out there to get me, but my faith is in a God, the God of angel armies, the God who I can run to and hide, the God who is a strong tower, a fortress. And it comes through surrendering yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to do that today, you can. You can just simply say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin, wash me clean, make me into a new person. I want to embrace the good life that you have for me. I want to embrace the good plan that you have for me. I want the power to endure through hard situations. I want the ability, God, to to still be standing when the storms of life come because of what you have done. So Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that God raised you from the dead. And I give my life to you. I surrender my life to your leadership. Be my Lord. Be the boss of me right now. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Amen.